With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to RHAP Wrap-Ups. We are here to talk about one more time this season of The Amazing Race Australia. Technically the fifth season, second season of this incarnation. I am Dan Heaton, and I am really excited to talk about the final seven episodes and a lot more from the overall season. And I have a guest here with me. She is part of the RHAP class of 2020. She currently is a co-host on Recaps of Bridgerton. She also was a guest on the Tar Pits last season and has been a part of the first two recaps we did of The Amazing Race Australia. If you've not heard those, you should go back and hear them because they're a lot of fun, especially if you've seen the season. She is Sarah Carradine. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me once again. Oh, thanks, Dan. I'm I'm thrilled to be here for a number of reasons. Uh, not least is that the race is over. <laughs> but uh, before I go further, I'd like to acknowledge that I am podcasting from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation, and these lands were never ceded. Well, excellent. Well, Sarah, we did it. We made it. <gasps> we did it. I will say we really wanted Jessica Lees to be a part of this podcast. And this, we are not doing this on some rogue thing where we're trying to cut her out. We would love for her to be a part of it. She just had a lot of other real world obligations that just didn't make this possible. But um, in the future, if there's another season or down the road, I'm sure she'll be a part of it. It just didn't work out for this. And we did not want to wait any longer since the finale aired a little over a week ago. And we're finally able to talk about it. So we have our winner, Sarah. It is the Cowboys. The Cowboys. Isn't that just a kick in the... I don't know what's, what it's a kick in. First of all, I want to say I love them. Brandon and Jackson, I love them. They were not my winner pick. They were in your... Um, oh, no, they weren't. Sorry, we both said they were the next to go. Yes, we, we did. finished <laughs> leg 17. We were, we were in total agreement. Cowboys are the next to go in leg 18. Not only were they not the next to go, but they won. And I have to say, I loved all the final three. I, I like the Cowboys talking about family and country and regional Australia. I'm not normally sentimental in that fashion, but 
the you know regional Australia has been doing it hard, and particularly when they got to the harvesting um, task, they both got very serious and they talked about this is someone's livelihood, and you think, yep, they really are connected to regional Australia. So at the end, when they said they were doing it for the regions, I really felt their you know their commitment to that, and there's not an ounce of pretension in either of them. If you think they're bunging on an accent or if you think they're using um, language that is not native to them, you are completely wrong. Those those words are just right in their souls. And I don't want to say salt of the earth. I'll say cowboys of the regional Australia. I loved them. I had another winner in mind, but given that they won, I am just thrilled for them. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I have a similar feeling. One thing I want to stress, too, is that I think um, you can really see how strong their relationship was because they had moments, not near the end, they finished very strong, winning three of the last four legs, but they had moments where they were struggling. And I know we referenced this in the last episode, but, you know, there were cases where one of them was, you know, really not doing as well or was, you know, even in the final walk up the mountain, they, you know, they just supported each other really well and were very consistent and didn't really get down. Like they would mess up a challenge. They, in the first episode, they finished 12th. And, you know, I just think that what I appreciated about them was they seem like really genuine guys. And I mean, the obvious connector here is of course, Jet and Cord from the U S and, and I don't really like the connection that much. They're both cowboys and I don't dislike the Jet and Cord but there were some things that didn't seem as by the third time they were on as genuine. And who knows? I'm not here to cast shade, but I will say that Brendan and Jackson just came across as you could tell these guys were best friends. They laughed at themselves. They made mistakes like, you know, trying to take the beard, all the patrons again, really early on, just do it stuff right <laughs> off the not, bat. That's all about that uh, first leg, but they did a lot. That's like one example, but they could, the wheat fix were such a problem. I mean, a lot of early examples, but it kind of went throughout and, just seem to have the right approach to it. So I agree. I was pulling for Ashley and Amanda, and I really like how hard they fought at the end and just the way that they really went for it. You could tell how much it meant to them. I don't know how many clips we saw in the finale of Ashley and Amanda saying how much it meant to them more than any other team, which made me think they were going to win. Thank you, editors, because they kept saying it. But I will say, I mean, the Cowboys were consistent. Like I said, they won five legs. The so three of them were in the final four legs, but uh, which is a little weird, but yeah, their placement average was like 3.8, which is good. It was the lowest of the finalists, fourth highest overall. And I promise I won't read you all the placements though. I do know what they oh, are. I love this. I'm so glad you did the stats. I just wanted to say that in the last leg at the beginning, the Cowboys said, we're not the fittest ones, not the smartest ones, but we'll give it a hundred percent. Now you might expect them to say, but we're going to win. But they didn't. They said, we're not the fittest, we're not the smartest, but we're going to give it a red hot shot. Um, and I love that about them. They did make a huge mistake where they started to build the Australian flag the wrong way around because the flag was flying above Parliament House and the wind had taken it so that it was flying um, with its back towards the boys. So they put the Union Jack on the right hand to top side. I thought, oh, how Australian is that? You don't know where the Union Jack goes. That's very Australian. And when they figured it out, all they said was basically, we're idiots. And then they immediately set about to fix it. And I like that about them. You never heard them grumbling or complaining or having a go at each other. 
Um, and I love the support they gave each other, particularly when uh, Jackson was heaving his hole, as Brendan said. And um, Brendan basically, you know, and, and Jackson said this, basically carried him up the mountain just yes. with that encouragement. And I and I love that. I love seeing masculine men who are not, you know, so they didn't have they didn't feel like they had to grip onto their masculinity so hard that they couldn't cry or laugh or make a mistake or kiss each other in the spaghetti challenge and I loved or wear a dress. Um, Brendan actually chooses a dress when they have to dress up in <laughs> 70s clothes. So I sort of, I love that example of masculinity as well. And they're raising boys, which is great. Yeah, I think it's great. And also too, I think as a testament to their relationship with other teams, I mean, yes, we can talk about the Alliance in a little bit, but the fact that they did finish last twice, but both times they were salvaged. And I know you could say, well, the other team that was with them was Chris and Alicia, but really it does say something where, you know, they didn't make enemies and they formed a strong alliance and bond. And regardless, you can say what you think of whether or not you should have alliances and how they should work. But they, you could tell the whole time to me, I never saw a situation where other teams resented them or kind of, you know, also the fact that they did make mistakes, I th- think seem, made them seem less threatening to a lot of other teams, even though they were near the top, they only, they didn't, they had a stretch going from leg five to leg 20 where they won one leg and they had a bunch of ninths and sixth and a bunch of six. That was like their position. They liked to hit, but the example being that they formed good bonds so that in a sense, people were like, Oh, I like those guys, you know, they're cool. And that, that allowed them to get really far and get big time help, especially with one, with the last salvage, that made a big difference in them surviving and ultimately then finding their stride near the end. Yes. I, was it the last, uh, yes, the last two legs, they started first, finished first and didn't really give up that lead for two whole legs, which is pretty amazing. There was a t- moment where um, Ashley and Amanda, and I know we're going to talk about them because we're both very fond of them, um, where they could have jumped ahead, but a combination of a Canberra cab driver and the unbelievable way that Canberra's roads are laid out meant that once they missed the turn for the helicopters, they had to loop right around again. And that's basically driving in Canberra. Uh, any Australian or any person who's driven in Canberra would have seen that happen. And as soon as that driver missed the turn, everybody that knows those roads would have gone, oh, my God, they, they've, they're, they're last. Because in Canberra you have to drive around you have to loop around you can't turn around and come back anywhere um so that was one of two drivers that uh, disadvantaged uh, all female teams the other being the p-plate driver that gave the uh, football girls the wrong um directions yeah and um it's too bad really because this kind of leads well i think into the finale overall because, you know, you get these three teams. They had, of course, as we predicted, you know, the way it kind of went, they had an elimination right before. However, you, it's weird because I would always think of this as like setting the placements, but everyone just kind of started at the same time. But they, they did pack a lot of tasks in the finale. I mean, Jess, the thing she always says every season, Jessica Lee's, is that the worst episodes of The Amazing Race, and this is U.S., are the premiere and the finale. Now, I don't know if that totally applies here with the premiere because there were just so many teams and it was so chaotic and we were kind of learning what it was going to be. But um, 
I think the finales are really tricky. Even when they try to do a lot of tasks, like you mentioned with a turn, it can be challenging and helicopters. Oh my gosh. Helicopter rides drive me crazy in the finale because they always split the teams up too much because it takes forever. But I'm curious, what do you think of the finale overall, Sarah? I know I kind of was all over the map with the, the lead in here, but there was just a lot that happened, I guess. Yes. I mean, working backwards, I think one of the things, and, and I, I learned this from listening to you and Jess, is that it, you get the first place winner first and then the other two come in. So the very exciting moment is when the winner wins and then there's still another five or ten minutes of the <laughs> yes. episode. Um, I think one of the reasons this finish was so exciting was because in the uh, drone or helicopter shots, whatever they were, you could see Ashley and Amanda in relationship to the Cowboys. Um, and while it did say, oh, they, you think they can't catch them, you could see them in the same shot, and I think that made a difference rather than the editor cutting backwards and forwards and you're thinking, oh, we're not sure exactly how far behind them they are. Um, so I, I think that made the finish more exciting. I loved the puzzle challenge with the uh, previously eliminated teams or those that could return returning. What did you think of that, having them at the second to last moment rather than the final moment? It was interesting because in a sense, I mean, I I figured that's the last task, you know, but they're not even going to have to do that climb up Mount Kosciuszko. But um, for here, I thought it was good. I, as a viewer, I, it's it was kind of hard to follow because it was like there's all these different laws. Like it's not one where I could go, oh, I know that or that. Like you know, sometimes they do these challenges. It'll be like the countries they went to and a flag or an event, and you can kind of follow along. Here it was just chaos. But the thing I enjoyed is there were a lot of kind of fun moments. My favorite moments I will name two. One is Delore giving the most like hammed up angry thumbs down that we've ever seen, like just full on. I was like, yes, you got your last moment. Good job. And then Sefa just um, right before they told him they had gotten it right, looking as pumped as anyone has ever done. And just so excited. I was like, I like that guy. I, re- I remember why I like that guy. That was really fun. So I like that they involved the other teams. Some seem more into it than others. But again, it was so chaotic, it was hard to even totally tell what was happening. Because I know Jeffrey Kays asked, was the weird law challenge too random to be a final puzzle? I don't know if it was random, or what do you think? Was it fair to have that there? I think one of the problems was I, I as a viewer, never quite heard the whole law. Yeah. I wasn't told on the screen what state it was from. Um, I, what I could pick up, I was trying to think which, and as were the races. What state does that sound like? And I think that's interesting, but I would have put it at a different point in the race um, and perhaps we could have spent a little bit more time on it so that, that uh, I mean, it was amusing when they said, oh, yeah, that sounds like Queensland and going and it was Queensland. <laughs> more interesting for an Australian viewer than, than a US viewer. And then I thought the map of the Aboriginal mobs all over Australia was fantastic, but I was a little... Sorry that they had the key inside the puzzle. I would have liked it to have been a proper puzzle in that you just have a plain outline of Australia and you have to to fill it in. But that's that's I like puzzles. Yeah, it was an it was an odd task. What I liked about it was I liked the other teams being there 
I like them sort of being involved in the cheering on or the nose as we got that. Yeah, Delors still cranky. Um, and there were there was somebody who who was stony faced and not cheering as the Cowboys finished, um, who I noticed. And I thought, mm, yes, they're, they're they're grumpy as well. But mostly, I liked that um, that joy, and I don't mind a bit of chaos for the races. But I wanted a little bit more guidance as a viewer. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And for me, I wondered if it was just, you know, I don't have the background with the various areas. So like when you mentioned Queensland, I wouldn't go, oh, yeah. But I think in a sense, it's it, I still enjoyed it because I like especially you could tell some of the teams like we even had a question about the fact that the twins were there who had quit, which I thought actually was kind of nice to see them again, that they got to be involved and felt okay to be involved, which I thought was good. But just to see some of the early teams you could tell were, were almost, I mean, MJ and Chelsea were really excited, but you know, what do we expect? I mean, they're, they're wonderful, but it's just, um, it's good to see them. It was interesting having them there and then not like a normal U S amazing race, Canada, amazing race. They always had them all at the finish line. And this time it was just like, you got to the little pit stop map at the time. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't fit at the top of the mountain. I don't know. I think that climb up Kuzhusko is a little um, tough, as we mm-hmm. saw. Um, I kind of liked the the end just being the final three and Bo, of course. Can't forget Bo. Of course. Um, and I think anybody looking at the uh, eliminated teams don't draw any conclusions from anyone who wasn't there um, because border closures were a real thing at the time and there may have been teams that, that just couldn't couldn't get there. So that's a good point. Yeah. So so the finale, you know, I think the idea of a good finale is one where there's a lot of chances to make make up time. And we did see that I think the Cowboys where they really got ahead of all places. I mean, I know we mentioned the turn earlier, but it was the slip and slide actually where they were very good at the slip and slide of all things. Sarah, it's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, Anurag had a lot of trouble on the slip and slide. Um, I don't know if it's because cause he's a tall, uh, very well-built man. I don't know if, if it was his weight, but he just couldn't get himself uh, to slide down. Mind you, the, the two girls had a lot of trouble getting halfway down and then stopping. Maybe it's the gusto with which the Cowboys threw themselves down the slip and slide. I think, did they only go down once? Yeah, they did it in one shot. Amazing. Yeah. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, so that well, because they, with the flag, they did make that error. And in fact, the Ashley and Amanda were first in the cabs driving to the, um, the helicopter pad at the airport. Yeah, and that's when they had the turn that 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 fell behind, and you know ended up making it where they couldn't catch up. But yes. yeah, so overall, I mean, there were a lot of tasks. There were multiple multiple roadblocks. We had them hang by a rope ladder. We had them doing a flight board. Apparently, there was a task involving memorizing a speech that was not aired. At least according to Wikipedia, they've let us down before. But that's what I've they heard. Have- <laughs> yes, I, re- I read that too, uh, Gough Whitlam's famous Kerr's Kerr speech. Um, I think they were trying to be very thematically linked to the fact that it was uh, Canberra, our nation's capital, which is also maybe why they thought laws, law courts, uh, I don't know. I-, I thought the costume on the – sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit. That's okay. I liked the physical uh, challenge of the wakeboard on the lake, but them being dressed up with – 
judges' wigs and robes on seemed a little extra to me. <laughs> yes. So, um, anything else? I mean, I think the finale for me, I don't know if we really talked about our overall opinions. I felt like it was a solid finale. If you set aside who won, I felt like they did a solid job. It was very adventurous. Like we said, the finale was exciting. I do think they did like, you know, there's always that thing with, um, to reference what you said earlier, that whenever you always have amazing racers that are going, I see the flag, I see the sign. There's Phil, there's Bo. If you don't see two people in the same shot, they could be hours apart, but we did see that. <laughs> I think they reshowed the same shot twice, but it might've been after a commercial break because of the way it was done. But I think they just had one shot, but again, it's hard to understand the perspective, but that does make me think they were within 10, 15 minutes or something, which is rare for finales, actually. Yes. I mean, uh, I think I, I, get, I get the feeling they were all pretty close and you think, oh, but for the turn of the cab, oh, but for Jackson being slightly sicker, you know, yes. oh, but for one or two other things. I, I certainly think between um, our Cowboys and um, Ashley and Amanda, I think there was, they were close. The Sikhs, had a problem at one point, which is escaping my mind. And I feel like from that moment, they were third and always third and always were going to be third. Um, They were certainly at the puzzle challenge. They were all at the puzzle challenge together. So I think that made it exciting where you felt, I don't, you know, and that's that's the part of the chaos that I liked, that I didn't know who was ahead of who when they were all working at the same time. Um, I like the Sikhs very much, and we'll talk about them when we do a bit of a wrap-up of our um, opinions on teams. But I feel like they were behind and really never in it, whereas I think the first two, it felt like they were moments apart. Yeah, totally. I think that there were definitely chances and that's all you really can ask for at the finale. You're not always, you know, and again, I don't want to short shrift the Cowboys, but I'm just saying you're not always going to get the exact winner. But I did appreciate going into these final three that um that I like them all. But let's pull back a little bit here. I know we're going to talk more about teams and other tasks and everything else, but I'd like to talk a little bit about now that we have watched all 24 episodes, possibly about 24, 24 hours. 24, 24, Dan. I've never done that. It is, according to Wikipedia, it is the, the most number of legs. Uh, and again, they've let us down before, but they say longest in Amazing Race history. Uh, Chris and Alicia set a record for the most consecutive legs run because they ran 22 legs um, because each of the final three had at least one um the first class pass where they didn't do a, a leg. Um, Ashley and Amanda broke the record for the most legs uh, legs won by an all female team, and they are tied for the most legs won in a single season across uh, any team and any franchise, uh, which is only eight. Yes, the most. Yeah, which is eight. Yeah, Dave and Rachel. Um, from the U.S. Dead version, one eight. Even though that was in like twelve legs, but still, I like I like Ashley and Amanda a lot more. I will say, and they did miss two legs because of the um, first class pass. But uh, here's That's so right. here's a comment we got from um, our Rob is a podcast patrons group, which you should all be joining and supporting. This came from Luca Sarcona. Twenty four episodes felt definitely too much. Is it because of the too many non elimination legs, or because it's just too much? What do you think, Sarah? Yes, that's a really good question. Partly because it's it's a three night a week um, uh, commitment for eight weeks. It certainly, in and of itself, felt like too much. I think 
and with the non-eliminations, I think a, a, a weariness crept in for even the most uh, enthusiastic fan. I don't know how you solve it. If you're a production company making a show for a channel who has ordered a certain number of episodes, what are you to do? It's one of the things I think we'll, we'll talk about, Dan. We'll see if we can solve it for them. I have some ideas. Do you think it's too long? You know, it's hard for me to say now because I think watching it still, you know, more locked down, you know, and quarantine and such, you know, not going out very much. I found it kind of enjoyable that there was just so much. Like, I felt like it was a lot. But then when it was over, I was kind of like, oh, what are we going to? What are we going to do now? We've got to, you know, we've, this is taking up so much of my time to watch all of this. But I do think it kind of fits with, I know, I know it's been different for various seasons, but Australian Survivor, which is also on the same network, also has really long, like 20, I think they do, they've had 24 castaways a few times. So I can't remember exactly how many episodes, but they have a lot. And so I think, and they also do multiple per week. Actually, I think, I know at least some of them have, I believe, been 24 episodes. So this is following that model. But to me, 50 days. Yeah. 50 days on the Survivor. Yeah. Yeah. So Survivor is a little different because you have, um, a lot of contestants where they're individuals. So you're going to have, you know, it's different than here where you have teams and, but, and it's not going to have, you know, as many teams to me, I feel like they need to work on the non-elimination legs, I think. And I know yes. we're kind of zoning into, we can talk more. Well, why don't we talk about it now? Okay. So let's talk about some ideas here about what we could do, because I feel like if not, we're just going to end up talking about that like a long ways from now. So to me, I feel like if you're going, let's say in theory, the network says we're having 24 episodes and you can only have a maximum of whatever, 14, 15 teams or whatnot. I think you got to get a little more creative. I think, you know, this will, some of these are things we talked about last time. If you do the first class pass, leave it more open-ended. So we don't know, you know, we don't know that's happening right away. Find other ways to do like, you know, the, here they would do the salvage and sabotage, which I thought was really cool. But then they had the other legs where nothing happened. And that really shone out in this final stretch because you didn't have any, the non-eliminations we just had were, um, were all with so few teams. You couldn't really do the salvage and sabotage like episodes 19, 21 and 23 were all non-eliminations and that's it. So basically. That's where it stood out to me is those and then a few others. So what the question is, if you have to do non-eliminations, do you just do to be continued and just have it be kind of something, you know, epic, but you know, us tried a mega leg and that didn't go that great. <laughs> I don't know. Hash, you know, hashtag mega leg. Oh, you got a lot of, control. how could I forget the mega leg? Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't want to forget a lot of it. Um, but no, really, um, I think they just got to get more creative. So like if you're locked in, I mean, the obvious thing is to say have more teams, but then you say, okay, you're going to start out with 18 teams. How do you run a production with 18 teams? If you did something like that, you might have to do something crazy where, you know, it's just very difficult. Like we talked about with sound men, audio men, instead of actually coming up with solutions, I'm just naming all the challenges here. But I would say the most basic thing I would say, Obviously, you can say fewer legs, fewer teams, or fewer non-elimination legs. But I think, let's say you're locked in, you have to have this many. I think I think they tried to do it with the stowaways. That obviously wasn't very popular. They, Even though I loved both the stowaway teams. Mm, absolutely. 
They brought back a team when someone quit, which I think was good. I think maybe they could have even done that again when Shane and Deb quit, but I know, or not quit really, when Shane was, that sounds bad, when Shane was, you know, was hurt. So, but I think that even did out a little bit, and that made, that probably led to that extra non-elimination that didn't make any sense where they had two in a row at one point was probably due to that. So, I think you just got to find, if you're going to deal with this, like Australian Survivor does weird things where it's like two of you are going to this island and then you're going to stay there. They did one thing in that one season where they sent like four people to an island and they had to do this giant competition. Now, I'm not saying we want to do that. That was a little bit drawn out, but I would say they, they're going to have to get more clever because I think you could tell by the response and the questions that non-elimination legs, especially two in a row without any consequences or at least one without and then one with, they just really kill the momentum. And it's just a point you yes. got to do something. And, and, and Twitter certainly doesn't like the non-elimination. Um, I think there's a, a couple of things, and one you've, you've, abs- well, you've mentioned several, but one of the things is a non-elimination with no consequence. That seems to be what, what riles us as fans, where previously a non-elimination, well, now there's a consequence because either if you're in the US, you get a speed bump or whatever it is that you get, yeah. an extra task. Um, you could do a time penalty. You could do what they do, which is the salvage and sabotage, or you could just have a sabotage. Then to mix that with, oh, well, nobody gets eliminated, on we go. That's, I think, what falls flat. So it could be keep on racing. It could be the dreaded mega leg. I don't quite know the difference between a mega leg and a keep on racing, but <laughs> there you go. I think the idea of, you know, it's bread and circuses. We want to see their, we want to see the teams punished <laughs> more than just uh, eating an emu egg. We want them to be punished for. Um, coming last but not being eliminated. If being eliminated is being killed off, we want them wounded in some way, yeah, in some clever, clever and fun way. And I think that's where they made the what, that's one of the ways that they made the error was to have non eliminations with no consequences. I had a thought about if you are asked for twenty four episodes. And I think we mentioned this last time, and I've had more thought about it. Do you start with 24 teams, but in two groups of 12 who do not know about each other? So each group thinks that it's the Amazing Race Australia, and they are one of 12 teams who's racing. And you get them to do the same course, perhaps at days apart, you know, one day, one, one day, one the next day. And then at some point after eliminations, they merge, huge surprise from all the races who find that, no, they weren't one of 12, they were one of 24. The problem with that is what RuPaul's Drag Race just had, which is in order to get to know that large number of people, you have to have alternating episodes where Group A, one night, Group B the next night, and you're still having to tell the story of 24. I feel like there's something in there, but I don't know what it is. It's certainly not the Starways, which the producer has said, yep, yep, got it, got it, we made a mistake, <laughs> got it. <laughs> but what do you think about having two groups, leaving aside the logistics of um, having to have double the sound men and double the cameramen? 
I think it's kind of a brilliant idea. It would, the thing is, it wouldn't work in the U.S. version or even Canada because they do their 42 minutes a week and then it would never, you can never do it. You would never be able to keep track. But I feel like if there's any format that could make something like that work, it's us, it's Australia because you've got the three nights in a row. And heck, maybe you do four nights and then you have two that are each one at the start or something. I mean, I'm just programming networks here. But, you know, I think 24 might be too many, though. I wonder because you could still have non-eliminations. But then so you maybe you start with nine and nine or ten and ten even or something where you have a lot, but it's a little easier. So you start, let's say it's 10 and 10 because 10 feels like it could be a season. So the people on it wouldn't be like, why are there only eight of us? Or why are there only nine? If there's 10, that's been a season in the past. I want to say that might, that's been Canada's had done 10 multiple times. So you could do 10 and 10. Let's say you even just cut it down to eight and eight. So you're only doing that for maybe a few weeks. You know, if you don't, if you just do eliminations, and so then you, you cut in, you're at 16, which is what we ended up with this season, though not all at once. So maybe you go, it's the, it, you could do it, and then you just you make it this epic event, and it's like each group goes to eight, and then you start with 16. And, like, and so you, you might even, you know, here's another thought. You do a week with one group, and you go from 10 to eight or whatever, or 11 to eight or whatever. Then you do week two with the other group, and you go like 11 to eight. And then week three, everybody comes together and it's almost like a new season. What do you think of that? Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot because I think also it gives the editors such creativity of, it, of being able to do um, montages of the same um, the same task, but being done by different groups or being done in different weathers. If it's, uh, you know, Victoria, wait five minutes, there'll be a different weather. So the next day it'd be a different weather. I like that a lot. And I feel that doing it week about, say, three episodes on Group A, even surprise the audience. Group A, here are our 11 teams, off we go. And then, you know, next Sunday night, you'll get the surprise of your life. And, of course, next Sunday night it's Group B. Um, and towards the end of that third one, you're reminded of the, of the first group. And then the third week, everybody gets a huge surprise as they're all melted together. I really like that. I really like that. And without COVID, you, can, you don't have to have separate um, sound men and cameramen, people, uh, operators, I should say, um, because they can just run the tasks on the following day with the same uh, technical crew. Yeah. And you might have to do something where you're more in a, like, like, you know, you do a couple legs in the same, like, not in the same, like, small location but in a general area so you're not like saying okay now we're going to fly everybody across us and again i'm assuming no covid in australia like i'm not assuming they're going to do this and then have everybody go around the world or something that would just be crazy. <laughs> and granted Bo would just be like i'm exhausted i need a second bow or you know we'd you know bring in a lookalike or something to deal with group b or something but i i mean i think it's probably i could see producers of a show going, this is brilliant. And I could see network executives or even audience members. I can see a lot of audience members being like, I give up. This is too confusing. But really, is this worse than having 24 contestants on Australian Survivor that I have to meet? I don't think so. I don't think this is any worse. I, the, I mean, the great thing is then you get six episodes, six eliminations. Right. You start off the game with just six bang, eliminations. Bang, 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 bang. 
Now you've bought yourself a bit of credit. Now you can have a non-elimination with consequence. As we say, the the non-elimination must have a consequence. Um, I was reading about our... You know, I don't like to say favourites, but we're both very fond of MJ and Chelsea, the footy girls. They didn't know they were stowaways till 24 hours before they joined oh the race. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the, the producers are already tricking contestants. Why not trick an entire group of contestants or an entire uh, cast of contestants into thinking that uh, – and I think, I think you could do it with 10 teams – um, and you've still got more teams than, than we had here, um, and you can fill your quota of episodes. And I think that you would be able, I think the, the editing that we've seen in both um, Survivor, Australian Survivor and um, The Amazing Race Australia, or is it the other way around, um, they're very good at telling the stories, dropping in the little packages. Now, it does slightly, you get the personal story bump, so you kind of think, oh, somebody might go. But you're going to tell the story of the in the first six episodes of the top place getters and the bottom place getters, and you'll pick up people along the way. I think it's a brilliant idea, Dan. I think we've solved it. I think so. And actually, the more I do the math, let's say we start at 10 on each and I promise we'll get back to the to the episodes really quickly here. But ten on each group, you go ten to seven, ten to seven. By, I mean, what I mean is, you get down to fourteen teams, then, which is what they started with here, and then you've got another eighteen episodes. You got fourteen teams, so you're going to get down to three in the finale. So that's eleven elimination legs, and. Well, that's still seven non-elimination legs. Did I just do something well, wrong there? <laughs> I think, I, I think. It's still too many. It's still too many, but we're going to have non-eliminations and we're going to have consequences. True. And maybe you, you bring us up, you figure, I don't know, maybe you do something crazy, like all the eliminated teams do some competition and one team gets to rejoin. Or I don't know. There's something you could do there that could be I fun actually, I, I did sort of think about that, that the um, eliminated teams go on to the edge of extinction. Oh, dear. No, no, no. 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 Don't call it that. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but they go into a side competition. And in a way, we don't actually have to see that competition. You know, you can just maybe have a montage and say, and these people won won the battle back. Yeah, call it a battle back. Um, I, I I think there are ways of doing it that work better than what happened. I think the the weariness that was felt over the 24 episodes was, now I'm thinking about it and talking about it to you, largely because of the non-eliminations. It just was like, oh, more, more. Whereas whatever we think about the salvage and sabotage, and I know we're going to talk about that too, that at least carried through to the next, it sort of has a momentum that carries you through to the next um, episode where we see what the salvage and sabotage is, how it's going to affect the team, you know, whether it knocks them out or not. And, I mean, that's something I do want to talk about too, about whether those had um, an effect on the placement of teams. I think it did with one and not the rest, but we can talk about that. Yeah. And we'll, um, one th- other thing I want to mention too, is that um, on what you said is 
especially with this last stretch, because we went in and we didn't know for sure it was 24, but I did mention that if there's 24, here's what they'll probably do kind of jokingly. And I was like, they'll do elimination, not elimination, not elimination, you know? And then once they did the first two, I was like, that's exactly what they're going to do. It's going to go back and forth. And it got a little predictable, not in who was going to go out. Cause obviously we didn't predict very well, but in like basically what they were going to do. And so you never want to have a case where as an audience member, I can look ahead five legs and go, okay, they're going to eliminate here, here, here. That shows that, you know, there was no surprises there. You didn't know who was going to go out, but like in episode 19, where the Sikhs were last, I was, I knew they weren't going to get eliminated. Like I was watching that because at that point I think we knew, I mean, I wasn't, but you could just kind of tell and shows kind of give it away anyway. But you just don't want that, that especially when you're 20 episodes in, you really don't want the audience to be like going, okay, let's just get through this one so we can get to the next one. That is dangerous for a show. Yes, I I think so. I think so, too. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply well, um, let's talk about the teams then. Let's, um, yes, yes. <laughs> let's, you know, we were all down there, but, but so, um, in general, I would just love to know, I mean, we've talked about who our favorites are, but, um, which are a few, like, I don't know, however many you want to do that you really just, now that we're finished with the season that are like your favorites or ones that still you're like, ah, oh, man, they were great. Look, I think that's good. And also, that might also involve me saying who I'd like to see again. Oh, yes. Um, there was a really nice, like, I, I liked watching Joe Bell and Rani, the father and daughter. I, I feel like I've seen them. I, I'm not that interested in seeing them again. But she had a very nice tweet uh, when Twitter was getting a bit agitated about alliances and Chris and Alicia and the things that we will get to. And she tweeted, I love the race. I'm invested as much as y'all are. Been watching it from when I was a kid. But just a reminder that it's a TV show. Yes. <laughs> Don't lose your marbles. 
don't let it steal your peace. You can love and cheer for your favourite team without hating another. And I thought that was such a great um such a great tweet from her. I enjoyed their story and I feel like they're one of the teams that had them had a very complete narrative arc, a very satisfying arc. They went out at about the time that they inverted commas should have gone out. Not that anyone should go out at any time, but it just I feel like they had a really good run and that they got a lot from it and we got a lot from watching them. On the flip of that, people that were cut off well before their time, and you've mentioned them, Shane and Deb. Uh, Deb, who it turned out was racing on a broken leg for for five legs. Oh my! <laughs> um, and because her leg hurt a little bit afterwards, and she went to get it checked, and it was actually broken, and and had been broken uh, for probably two or three legs at least. Um, and Shane, as we know, had to be cut out of the tent very dramatically. I would love to see them again. They were a very strong team. Uh, I liked their teamwork, like uh, Brendan and Jackson, the Cowboys. I liked their relationship with each other. I liked their strength. I liked their smarts. I'd like to see them again. And then in sort of, let's say, the, the, the back half of the teams, Sefer and Jessica, I would love to see them again, but I wonder if, like Jabel and Rani, they've, had their story what do you think yeah it's it's always tricky because i there i even when i just like saw them at the end i was like man they were so much fun to to have so i would always i always appreciate the team that just like you mentioned with Jabel and ronnie but just has that attitude that's just every episode there's something and, and it was so much where i was like almost everything with them it would be like Oh, I don't like that. I'm 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 scared of that. I don't like that. But handling it in a fun way, not in a whiny way, not in a you know, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. I always appreciate that with teams. So definitely they they would be at the top of my list, you know. And I would just repeat the same thing you said about Shane and Deb. I'm right with you on that. I wanted to, you know, call out to that um and again, I don't want to be too repetitive of last time, but I enjoyed both of the stowaway teams. I think we cannot blame them for being stowaways, especially MJ and Chelsea, what I really enjoyed about them, and I know we talked about how they're competitive and good racers, and when they went out to me, it was so heartbreaking, just because I feel like they wanted it so much, and they had the right com- competitive approach. What I mean by that is, and we saw a very similar thing with all the top three teams, too, where it's like, and even Sky Blue and Jake, who they had such a sad exit, where I felt so much for them and for him, you know, so it's like these teams that wanted to win, that felt like it was, but what they embodied was just also they enjoyed it and realized it's kind of a goofy TV show, but we also want to do well. I love that too. And it's just, it's just fun to see that. And I really appreciate that's the thing that made 24 episodes better is that you had so many, I mean, really to me and I, five of the top six teams. And even I would say six of the top eight, and I don't want to go down to 12 of the top 15, but I will just say that had this attitude where it's a race, we want to win, but I never, it, it didn't. And again, from the TV show perspective, because we're only seeing a small percentage, I felt like they had a right, the right approach to it. And it made it fun for me as a viewer to root for a bunch of them and not just be rooting for one and disliking a bunch. It was not that type of reality show. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly when I got to the final three, I thought, well, I know who who my my favourite and my second favourite and my third favourite are, but I was I would be I went into it knowing I'd be happy with whoever won. Yes, MJ and Chelsea, I really can't say enough about them. I think they were fantastic. I hope they race again because I feel, in a way quite glad they didn't win because had they won it would be this constant asterisk of well you missed the first six legs oh you were a stowaway you didn't do as much as anybody else did and I thought it was such a shame that they were the stowaways because they were so strong Um, they were smart their relationship was really good they were funny they got uh, u-turned Um, which led to them, well, it's not the only thing that led to them going out. And Chelsea said, if I was in the race and I was against us, I'd U-turn us too. Like she really saw the pure competition of it and she really saw it in a non-personal way. She also said, if we die, we die professionals. (laughs) Which is really funny. It made me laugh. And um and MJ had to turn around to her just before they got, you know, before they came last on the mat and said, no swear words, no swear words. She said, no swear words. So <laughs> I thought they were brilliant. And I mean, I don't want to go on and on and on about them, but uh, we both had them in our predictions for final three. Yeah, thanks a lot, MJ and Chelsea. Now, um, seriously, though, I do want to call out to going right back near the beginning. I mean, I also we didn't mention them much the last Dewez and Catherine, who I'm glad they got to come back because I enjoyed watching them a lot on the race just because um, they, again, had a good relationship as the Kimberly Cousins and had a small stretch where they did pretty well and were fourth or second and were fun to watch. And Jude and Shannon, the moms, I remember them as much because they got the the probably the toughest sabotage where they couldn't talk to each other. And there were just a lot of great facial expressions. I know we only saw them for three legs, but they were a lot of fun. So I wanted to give them one more mention here since they were in for just a short time. And I think, look, I'm looking down the list. I really think this cast is fantastic because there's Marlon and Tina as well, the the childhood friends, um, the migrants. We didn't get a lot of their story. I think perhaps they're a bit, uh, you know, they're not as, um, loud about who they are uh, we might have learned more about them had they gone longer I thought they they had strengths as well and I mean talking about strengths Alex and Jack the twin models is what they're called twin models so a lot of models uh, in the um, cast which usually doesn't um, presage a good cast but in fact uh, it was a good cast I thought that was very strong to withdraw and like you I was very happy to see them at the end welcomed at the end even though they withdrew themselves um, it was for reasons you know outside the race yeah totally now, um, I think we we saw everything we needed to see of Holly and Delore uh, I've made my opinion about them clear so perhaps we don't need to <laughs> no. yeah I, th- I think we're good <laughs> um jordan and violetta uh we haven't talked a lot about them um the night they were eliminated all the promo said a popular yes. team will go I, I, I suppose they were popular they were they were always like oh yes they're in the race too to me they they were neither good nor bad they talked about dancing a lot yes um <laughs> I wondered, I mean, that's also, look, they, out of everything that they say, it's just what, what we're shown. Yes. And then also to mention the other, the other stowaways, Stan and Wayne, 
who I took an immediate dislike to, and then two seconds later I thought, oh, I absolutely adore them. They were fantastic. Um, They were very good value. I liked them constantly getting lost, and we got some great lingo from them, which I'll be uh, telling you, asking you about later (laughs) in our lingo section. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so I have another question for you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we I would look and I could pick more teams to bring back, and you've already referenced some that I totally agree with. But let's say... Okay, a few seasons down the road, we're looking at this group and we're saying, okay, you know, we had our giant 24 team extravaganza or whatever that happened in the next season. There's a few more. Let's say it's season nine, whatever. And there's an all star season and they say, okay, we can only bring back four from this season and we're not bringing back the winners. So of the of the teams, which four do you bring back? And I'm not going to restrict anything in terms of it had to be girl, girl, or guy, or whatever. Whichever four, just pick four teams that you would bring back. All right. Well, let's go turn about. So my number one is going to be MJ and Chelsea. That is a good all choice. Stars. They are all stars. What about you? Oh well, I was going to let you pick four, and then, uh, okay. and then I would right. say whether I agreed gonna... or not. But you know, I'm all just right. going to put it all on you here. I'm the host, all right, so, <laughs> sort of. And you are. It's true. So MJ and Chelsea, uh, Jaskarat and Anurag. I think I would like to see them again. Strangely, even though they were my hopes for winners, I feel like I've seen Ashley and Amanda. They're definitely all stars, but I. Don't know. I would be more excited to see Shane and Deb. So they're going to be my number three. And then I think you bring back Sepha and Jessica, despite the fact that I said, oh, I think we've sort of got the idea. I think for the humour and the emotion of it, you bring them back. That's what I'm going to say. It's pretty close to what I was thinking. I was thinking the only reason I hesitate with Shane and Deb is that, you know, she had a broken leg and then he got injured. And I feel like I'm only going to bring back one of the early teams. And I would have to, if I'm going to do that, I would pick Seth and Jessica. I say early, okay. we're on yeah. seven yeah. episodes. It's not like it's, you know, that's a long time for most <laughs> shows. But, and then the other ones are pretty similar. I was thinking MJ and Chelsea, Ashley and Amanda, actually, and the Seeks. But I totally get, because they, I mean, they were in, we saw a lot of them in terms of just, you know, because they won so many legs and they kept having to pick salvage and sabotage, they were in it a lot. But um, so that's so we're pretty similar on that. But again, there's plenty of other good options, like you mentioned. That's why I wanted to narrow it down, because if not, we would just pick like nine teams to come back. Oh, yes, because I'd see I'd happily see Dwayne and Catherine again. I uh, Sky Blue and Jake, I admired them a lot. She is awesome. Um, and. Their relationship was interesting. I, I sort of feel I've seen them, so I don't know that I'd be that excited to see them again. I loved having them on the race, and they were on for 20 legs. Yeah, they raced for 20 legs, and they did every single one of them but because uh, they came first a couple of times, but they never got the um, first-class pass, so they did, they did every single one of those uh, legs. So I think they were impressive. But, yes, yes, I think we're pretty much in agreement. And you're right, if uh, we're only picking one of the early uh, eliminations, it has to be Sefer and Jessica. That's what I would think. Okay, so we got to keep moving here because there's a lot more to cover. Let's spend a Ooh. little time here with Mr. Bo Ryan. One more time. Oh, Bo. Now, did he improve? over the 24 legs that would be the question i would ask you um not really but the thing is i feel like i might have been a little more 
forgiving of Bo than even than Jess was or that I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm just saying that early on, I felt like the whole time it seems like for kind of a, I wouldn't say goofy just seems kind of like a lazy word to use, but kind of an all over the map kind of season with some amazing things, with great teams, with some questionable choices, with a few dud legs and great ones. Having this guy who's just like so over the top and is just, I mean, every leg he would do something that made me laugh. And I don't know if, if what you're going for in your host is, you know, him making you laugh and even him talking to like, he's the only one that we ever see his, one of his things is he talks to the greeter at the pit stop and try. And sometimes they like, don't even seem to want to talk to him. And other times they're kind of in on the joke, but he's really a character. And I think he's playing this more like a character and almost like an extra cast, like an extra person on the race. And I mean, he does all the tests. So to me, I feel like he's a little more comfortable. He's definitely more comfortable now than he was in the first season that he did. Yes. Yeah, totally. But I found that I just appreciate that because I feel like, like I mentioned in the in a past episode, his style fits this style of show. And it's just, he kind of, especially we're spending a lot of time in Australia and it's just, he's just in your face and is doing stuff. And um, I don't know. I mean, the hugging, Okay, you know, a lot of a lot of hugging. But beyond that, it's just I found him endearing more as we went along, but I think more because I think he just kept kind of one thing he did, I felt he kept escalating more what he was doing in the intros for tasks and just kept kind of getting sillier and just like bouncing weird ideas off the wall while he was doing it. Yes. I I, I endearing is a very good good word for him because he's big and he's goofy and He's, if I say inoffensive, that sounds like a such a small word. But he, what I like about him is he thinks he is a lot funnier than he actually oh, yeah. is. <laughs> and sometimes that can be terrible. But with Bo, somehow it's like, oh my god, dude, you really think you're a comedian, and it's like the furthest thing from a comedian. I like his enthusiasm. He did do the nudie run. Um, he did. He does all the tasks. I did enjoy him squealing and jumping out of the uh, cane toad pen, and that, and that staying in, and and now seeing his take too. So I did like things like that. He jumped through the fire, um, and the stunt coordinator said, "If you're on fire, one of my guys will. If you're on fire for any reason, one of my <laughs> fire team will put you out." Um, I think he fits. Uh, look, it was his second season, so he is going to be in it, it, it. You know, you would hope for improvement on the first season. Perhaps he fits better in this within Australia race. Um, and what do you think about it staying in Australia? Is that a good idea, or have we seen everything that there is to see uh, in the broader? So, would you be keen on another Australian season or uh, another season raced in Australia? Yeah, we actually got that question from Catherine. Ah. on twitter she asked that and basically do you think overall staying with australia was a success and could they do it again if they need to and i mean you ordered your slightly differently but similar idea i think it was successful to answer her question more than i ever would have guessed but you know it's interesting because i used the connection of amaze race canada where the first season they stayed in canada and i thought it was really cool and they've been in canada a lot every season but then they had a season recently the most recent season Um, It wasn't during COVID. It was just probably a budgetary decision where they decided to stay in Canada again. And a lot of responses we got doing the podcast were really they're, they're back. They're just going to Canada. They're not going anywhere else. But I feel like 
one bow does work better because Australia, if you had Bo going around the world and doing a fill thing where he's kind of trying to teach you more things about the culture, I don't know if that would work as well. It might not seem as genuine where the stuff he's doing here seems genuine. Now, if they decided to do it in Australia again, I think there's enough they could do um, because I mean, like any country, like we saw here, just, there was a lot of variety. I mean, too much eating, but a lot of other variety of tasks and everything. So I still feel like there's more they could do. Now, I don't know if they could do five more seasons in Australia, but I think they could do another season. And then, um, you know, I'm curious for your opinion though, because you know, you know, more obviously being in Australia than I do. Cause I'm still so much of this. I'm learning. Cause you know, I know not that much about Australia beyond just, you know, what I've seen just on travelogues or, you know, you know, I, I really like some bands there. I like midnight oil a lot. That's something, <laughs> but you know, I know a lot of stuff from like, they went to airs rock. I'm like, Oh yeah. From the video. But no, really it's like, there's a lot of other things that, I don't know about. So for me, it's a good learning experience, but I don't know how it would be coming from Australia. Look, I, I think, and certainly, you know, glancing at, at the comments on Twitter, Australians have really enjoyed it. First of all, we were a bit like, Oh God, is it just going to be Australia? And I certainly miss the, and I think we talked about this in the, in part one of our chatter. I miss the, the added challenge of having to deal with a language that is not your own, deal with public transport that is not your own, dealing with currency that's, and customs that aren't your own. I did miss that layer, or let's say I thought I was going to miss that layer, and in fact I I don't didn't really miss it because there was so much uh, to do. I don't think they've run out. Don't forget there's an ent- the entire left half of the country they couldn't get to because of the uh, hard closure of the border for Western Australia. So we haven't been to Western Australia. Um, and, I, and that's an extraordinary state. It's amazing. It's very remote. Um, so the city of Perth itself is incredible. There's places like Broome where they dive for pearls. I mean, there's just uh, another whole half of the country they could uh, go to as well as, as repeats. And the other thing is, I mean, it could be, you know, what, you know, could they do an Anzac one, an Australia and New Zealand one when the Pacific bubble uh, opens, which we're hoping for fairly soon? So, yes, I think that's a long way of saying I, once I put my mind to the fact it was only going to be Australia, I actually was very happy to be in Australia for the whole time. And I think there's at least one more season that they could do just in Australia. So, yes, that's a very long way of answering your question. <laughs> well, great. Did you, like, did, did you like seeing the sights as we went? Oh, yeah. I thought it was great. You know, I really appreciated it. And that's also been true with Canada, but it just because, you know, like I said, a lot of what I know about Australia beyond just the surface level of the Outback and, and Luru and everything else is just um, Sydney. And Melbourne and stuff, you know, they, you know, and and the big cities where I mean, I wasn't even that familiar, like you mentioned with Canberra and some of the other the other cities they went to. So for me, it's like you easily can kind of get the stereotype of, you know, the coasts and just the basic background where there were so many different places. And I love I love when they went to some of the smaller towns and like we talked about before and interact with the locals and all that. I thought that was fun. And again, it's all about what they do. And the one benefit of not having the focus on transportation 
is I've been I've watched a decent amount of older seasons recently, kind of of the U.S. version when they did focus a lot more on transportation. Is you didn't have that many tasks, and sometimes you have legs where you spend. 20 minutes, not always just with an airport or with a train or with a boat or whatever, which can be really interesting. But also then you have a roadblock and detour. And sometimes those roadblocks and detours are boring, but because of everything else, it's still interesting. We're here. The onus is on them where the legs would have five or six tasks or whatever. And those better be interesting because you don't have much else. So it almost made them, I mean, they didn't always succeed, but you could tell they were trying to do a lot of different things. Yes, I mean, I think we noted part one, which was episodes one to six, they stayed entirely in Queensland. And I think they were only in Brisbane, so Brisbane, the capital of Queensland. I think they were only for one leg. So the rest of the time, they were really finding different parts of the state and different kind of historical things they could put their hook onto. I mean, I think they, they did that fairly well um, when they went to uh, Galgog. They found, you know, the, the oldest opera house in Australia. And when they went to Bonnie Rig, they talked about the Chinese heritage of the area. We had them having to cook um, the Luxa for the Luxa Queen. So I think that the diversity of um, ethnicity and culture in Australia was slightly on display. Sometimes that can be a bit cringy, but I think they did it quite well. Yeah, I mean, there's always that flip side of, you know, when you're presenting other cultures and you have Bo up there, you know, doing something and it's just, uh, but I do feel like overall they did a good job. And especially like I've, I might have mentioned before, I'm watching this with my daughters, you know, Bo's naked run, not my favorite thing, you know, but they both thought that was really funny. But um, in general, just with um Learned, they've learned some things watching it. Like, oh, this looks interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. So, well, yeah, the nudie run is actually part of Australian culture. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't just Bo getting his. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it really wasn't a big deal. They just found that they're like, oh, but um, but yeah. yeah. So I, but it was fun oh. to watch that with them too because one, um, like I mentioned, being in like quarantined, it's like it was a fun thing that we would do each week. And because there were three episodes, there was plenty to do. But yes. um, but yeah, just getting back to your question, I think I think it was cool just because there is a lot to cover in Australia. And I don't feel like, OK, now they're finished. I mean, there's plenty more to do. So if they came back and said they were going to have another season, even if. They were going to do similar number of teams, similar no- number of non-elimination legs. I'd still be excited. It's not that it would be, that would be like, oh, they need to fix something. I mean, really, the complaints are just because I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of TV on this season. So you got to have something to talk about. Yes. And we have to, I mean, I think we said this in, in part two, we have to allow the producers um, the space to try things and make mistakes. Otherwise, you don't get anything new. And they tried the stowaways and they've heard the people and went, at least we would know we weren't going to get stowaways again. But they'll, they have to try something. I mean, just in terms of twists, I'm, I'm not sure what we're up to in our list, but I just wanted to mention the T-junction, which we talked about in part one. It was announced. I have, um, I, in fact, uh, tweeted at Sefa and said to him, what happened to the T-junction? He doesn't know. He said that they were told about it, but it never seemed to happen. And certainly Wikipedia has a whole list of tasks that weren't shown and uh, none of them involved the T-junction. So that must have been something they had up their sleeve and perhaps had to change on the fly. I think 
there were things that that were, I mean, I know that mostly it should all be set, but there were a couple of things that they did have to change in terms of people going out uh, unexpectedly and maybe the T-junction they realised wouldn't work when they were already in filming. So uh, I just wanted to close that loop because then we speculated in part two, where on earth could they have the T-junction? Because, you know, you need a certain number of teams. Um, uh, And so that's the story of the T-junction. But, yes, the the producers do have to be allowed to try different things and and get them right or get them wrong. But I think... um, if you think that Australia is the same size side to side as the United States of America, it's a very big country. And uh, if you look at, uh, you can go to Wikipedia and look at the route map of the whole um, race, which I found fascinating, you'll see it's all entirely in the right half of the country and we haven't even touched the left half, so there's a whole lot to, yet to go. So, yes, yes to another season in Australia. No to stowaways and yes to the producers trying new things, especially if Channel 10 is going to order another 24 episodes. Yeah, for sure. And I think about, too, just um, and we what to get us into these twists and tasks. But I wanted to say one more thing is like I, I've lived in the same city in St. Louis for most of my life. And there are still things I don't know anything about here. And this is just like a city in the middle of the United States. So there's definitely a lot of things I think in Australia they can still cover. And I'm not trying to compare my city to Australia. I'm just saying that it shows you that if you're clever and if you really look for history or find interesting ways to present it, there's still a lot to cover. But speaking of that, well, not really at all. This is a terrible transition. But let's talk about the last salvage and sabotage because we finished our last episode we were right before the final salvage and sabotage which at least for my money the sabotage uh, it was fine it was they had helium balloons they didn't pop it wasn't really a big deal chris and alicia complained about it okay but the salvage to me that went to brendan and jackson to me was the most powerful salvage one of the they basically said Brandon and Jackson, I mean, I know they only finished second, but they were like, here, you want to go to the next leg. We will give you a pass to go do that. Because basically, in case you didn't know, if you don't remember, they, they, they only had to do half of every single task. And so when you have a leg with a bunch of tasks, every single, this wasn't like, like okay, if they did that once, okay, that, that'd, be, that'd be nice. But they did it over and over. And granted, in a sense, our complaint earlier was that the salvages weren't powerful enough. And then so then the show is, in a sense, with this one, making it more powerful. But my question for you, Sarah, is was this too powerful? And basically, with already having a team on that leg with a um, first class pass, so you already have one team not involved. If you hand this to them and then Brandon and Jackson are going to be okay. Then you're really narrowing down what's going to happen. Then you have a U-turn on that leg, which the first team is going to U-turn a team. You're really stacking the deck against a few teams. Basically, the last few teams are going to be battling it out. It just seems a little designed poorly, I will say. Well, I mean, that's an interesting thing is that, uh, as you said, the U-turn, you are compelled to use the U-turn if you are the first uh, team to arrive, and I want to talk about that. But, go, yes, your question about the salvage and the sabotage, if you look at the sabotages, although it went from 
what Sefa uh, has listed, and I agree with not being able to talk being the most sabotagey to having a helium balloon. He, he thinks having a kangaroo is the least. I yeah, think I having think a helium so. balloon is the least. Um, there's not a huge difference of, of, of uh, disadvantage between them. But if you go into the uh, salvages, it goes from having an island guide which uh, Joe Bell and Rani had. It was the. It didn't help them because they went out that leg. Um, the ability to jump a queue, which is sort of in the middle there. Holly and Delore got that. You can jump one queue. That's sort of quite good. And then you have a team only having to do half the challenge. It's too much, Dan. I think it's too much. It's too much of an advantage. And it made me think there might be a tweak to the salvage and sabotage where you choose you, the the team that comes first on that leg. And again, as we've said, I would like to not see it as a viewer. I would like to not see them be given the first class pass because as soon as we see them, and that could be halfway through the episode, now I know it's a non-elimination leg. That should be um, a surprise at the end. Anyway, that's my opinion. I wonder if it should just be sabotage. Now you're choosing between the two teams. You, the team that came first, must choose between the second to last and the last team, and one of them will be given a sabotage. So in other words, cut the salvage altogether. What do you think? You know, it's interesting because part of me likes the idea of being able to help out another team, like beyond just saving them in a sense, or beyond hurting them. And it also, but I think when there's a bunch of teams, it has less of an impact. But I do think as it narrows down, I I like your idea more because I feel like when you start to get down to where you have only, you know, eight, seven, six, I mean, I know they happened, I believe at eight and then again at six or is where, how many teams were left if I remember correctly. So basically I think when you're getting down to it, there's got to be some other way because I that to me, and again, part of this is totally results based because MJ and Chelsea were eliminated in that leg. But I looked at even the task for that leg, and I'm like, what a dumb leg! I'm sorry. And there aren't many like that. Is even near the end, there are very few where I don't go, well, okay, that leg wasn't that great, but at least they had this really cool thing. And this one, they did do the Tasmanian double enclosure where they dragged the meat, which I found entertaining. But still, it's like you're. You don't want to. You don't want it to turn into like Survivor, where three people have immunity idols, and then only and someone else gets immunity, and there's two people left. And that's almost what was happening here, where half the group, three out of six, were basically. I mean, yes, the Sikhs did actually earn first place, so it's not totally accurate. But they also use the U-turns, so I just feel like when you narrow it down, it gets tougher. Yes, I wonder. Given that, if you are going to keep the salvages and so now we're choosing not just who are we going to disadvantage but who are we going to advantage so we might be revealing an alliance we'd rather keep quiet or people might take it personally and certainly after the first two times where the winning team simply gave the sabotage to the last team and the salvage to the second to last team then once MJ and Chelsea got their hands on it of course they were strategic and they were game players and they switched that Um, so something like having to only complete half the challenge, make that the first 
salvage, make that the first advantage that's given out. So you do it when there's, um, you know, 12 teams or 14 teams or 11 teams where it's hugely advantageous to the team that gets it but not hugely disadvantageous to the other teams. And then as it goes on, you either drop the salvage or you make it, you know, having an electronic map or even that might be too much. Um, yes, now that I think about it. But, yes, if you are going to have such a such a huge advantage, I think it has to come much earlier where there are more teams. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, well... Mm. Let's talk about some of ta- the tasks that we really enjoyed. Um, there were some, even, I'm talking now just from episodes. If we go through the whole season, we'll be here forever. Episodes 18 through 24. So I'm talking about the final run of tasks there. You know, again, when you narrow down the teams, you also might narrow down just some of the, the silliness or, you know, just fewer people. So the one, one of the ones right off the bat that I found to be very entertaining was, of course, when they had to escape from the prison. Loved it. <laughs> to me, this was just so much fun and I thought it was really clever because essentially this is at the, um, in Dubbo is where, if I believe correctly. And what I loved about it is the guards. It was very specific. It wasn't just like a free-for-all where guards run around. The guards could only look straight ahead. The guards could not turn around and look at you. So you had all these funny moments where people were like slowly creeping up behind them, but then another guard would show up and just people kept getting caught and then they had to get walked back. I mean, it's one of the funnier challenges and more clever challenges I've, I've seen. I mean, it's, this was just, Sarah, this was great. Uh, they also, um, all, all the teams but one, really enjoyed it, like really enjoyed themselves at sort of how silly it was and how it's, it still had to have skill. I mean, Ashley and Amanda got locked into, well, not locked into the jail cell first in the dark. They found the tea lights, they found the mirrors, and then they took those with them so as to hilariously disadvantage the other teams, but not so much that the other teams couldn't figure it out too. One of so one of the things I liked about it was you had to be somewhat skillful, somewhat lucky, and you had to take it with an enormous amount of humor because otherwise, what's the point? So, yes, I'm with you there. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, because there's skill involved, but really the whole idea is very silly. I mean, it's the whole thing. Yeah. But it's like you're in like a like a silly movie, and that's how people took it. And I love the mirror idea too, because that's you know, you think like, really, would you use it? But then I love that people kept getting caught too. There were some really fun moments where teams would like think they had it, go around the corner, and no, they would be they would no. be stopped again. <laughs> Not so no, much. Uh, and uh, um, and Jaskirat thought they were so clever climbing up a ladder and then they found themselves on a guard's tower and they could see where they needed to be but they had to go down and around and I think the, uh, just saying that it makes me realise that the editors really let us understand that task as well like we were never we, we always knew where they were we knew what they were doing we knew what the dangers were and we knew where they had to get on the wall to climb out so we were really part of it as well and uh, I think it was I think it was really terrific 
Yeah, and that's one benefit of having the longer run times because that's something, you know, sometimes the episodes when they get up to an hour and six minutes with no commercials, I mean, and with commercials, I know it's different, can be a bit long, but still you have the benefit where you can spend 10 or 15 minutes on one thing and not feel like it's taking up the whole lake. So what is another task that you really enjoyed? Well, before I, before I say that, I do want to say one of the things that I absolutely loved and it tickled me out of the 24 hours or the 24 legs or the 24 episodes that we've seen, a thing that t- tickled me absolutely the most was uh, they were in Tasmania. Um, there was a detour, pit or paddle. Uh, you either had to pit 200 olives using your hands or you had to paddle across a lake to a wine barrel, collect grapes and squeeze them. And as we sometimes see, all the teams chose one detour and not the other. But what the Amazing Race Australia editors decided to do was have a moment of a very sad judge standing beside the lake, looking wistfully out towards the barrel of grapes as nobody arrived. And I thought that was brilliant and I loved that. So I want to really commend um, the producers for that because I thought that was just so much fun. Because I think before we said, oh, what if you set up this whole thing and nobody came? They showed us what happens. You you look sadly out over the water. Um, I like the hobby horses, doing dressage uh, with the uh, hobby horses. I, I thought was really terrific. Because it's not just because for me, it's a great combination um, task where you have to technically get all the steps correct, but you also have to really throw yourself into it and really have the flair. I mean, I don't think those judges were going to let you uh, away with a foot fault, but they also, I think, appreciated the, the sort of the performance and the flair um, from the um, from the contestants. Yeah, one thing I really enjoyed about that, which um, there's similar things have happened in other shows, but where, it, of course, the Cowboys were really excited because this was going to be their horse challenge. Yes. And they were so pumped. And I, and I even thought, I was oh. like, this is not going to be what they expect. And they totally set it up. And they were just like so disappointed that they didn't get to use a real horse. And I was just like, yes, great job. Great job, editors. Well, another one, too, which is something we've seen in the U.S. version. There was, um, I think, season 27. They had to do rapping in French. But they didn't write their own lyrics. A lot of times we've had them where they have to repeat something. But oh, no. Here we had it in something that livened up near the end of the show. Well, in a way it livened it up, but it also led to some just terrible rapping. And I will say they did, of course, in episode, I believe like 23 had to write a rap song about their time based on the amazing race at the national center of indigenous excellence and, um, an Aboriginal rapper who, um, they had to follow her style. And some people were very good at this. Actually, you would think the Cowboys would be bad. No, they were not so bad. There were others that were not good. So bad, (laughs) so bad. And I love not only the rapper, but uh, her whole crew who were, who just couldn't believe some of the rubbish. I think one of the reasons that the Cowboys were good at it is one of the reasons why we've enjoyed watching them for 24 legs. They don't take themselves. They do. They have a serious side. They love country and family and children and and so on, but they don't take themselves seriously. And I think that's what you need for a challenge like that where none of them are rappers. Rapping is an incredibly skilled 
thing to do. You can't just pick it up in a day. So you have to really just throw yourself in, uh, which they did. I liked that part of it, but I, I was longing for that task to be over because the, the, the pain that I felt <laughs> the little rappers were going through. Oh, Ashley oh, and Amanda. Oh, dear. Oh, girls. <laughs> girls. Now, it's, it, it's interesting because uh, one of them at least has a performance background, if not both of them. They don't do quite so well with the performance challenges as someone like the Cowboys who doesn't and just throws himself in. I think there's a certain level of if you have a performance background that it's as much a disadvantage as an advantage for performance tasks because you want to do it properly. Um, whereas we saw certainly uh, Sky Blue and Jake with the hula hoop um the hula hoop task where they were technically terrible, but she just says to him, come on, just bung it on, bung it on. And they sort of bung on the attitude and they get through. Yes, Ashley and Amanda. No, no. (laughs) You bring up a good point though. Jordan and Violetta were always so excited about anything that kind of related to dance. I know we mentioned that earlier, but didn't they did okay sometimes, but not always. And we've seen this with others where sometimes, I mean, obviously the, the famous five hole idea, but sometimes like, you know, you had on the Amazing Race Canada, you had I, Olympic hockey players that couldn't shoot a puck through a certain spot because you almost get psyched out. Cause again, it's like, this is my thing. I'm going to do this. And sometimes it's just the team that just laughs and, and goes through. And of course I should mention too, that the hula hoop task, if there's any task ever on the show that I would never finish, it would be that one. I cannot spin a hula hoop once around me without it falling. I don't know. I mean, that, and that's not a roadblock or a detour. You were stuck. To, I, of course, knowing Amazing Race Australia, I get like a five minute penalty. So I would just plow right through it and just move on, I guess. You know, but, you take one look at the hoops yeah. and say, moving on. A 30 minute penalty. <laughs> try it once just so the show doesn't think like I try and give them their good TV. They can cut to commercials when I'm struggling and then I'm out of there. Go. Um, so any others that you wanted to mention? Well, I really liked the whole leg in um, Broken Hill. So I liked them having to find intersections based on the periodic table, dressing up as mad scientists and going and, and making the, um, I think it's called the elephant's toothpaste experiment. I'm not quite sure why, but you pour three things in and the whole thing explodes and it was it was a combination of difficult because they had to run, so there was a physical aspect to it. They had to be fit. By God, they must have been tired at that point. It's leg 22. Um, they had to figure out which uh, element, you know, from the, um, what do they call it, just the, the two letters that say an element, they had to figure out what that was. Then they had to figure out where on the map map that street was for, for people who haven't seen it. Uh, the street names are um, elements, and so it was a sort of two-parter where you had to figure out what the element was and then find that street. So I really liked that. I was also as amused as, as the editors with a certain team's assertion that they never get lost, and if they have a map, they'll never get lost, and then they promptly got lost and. <laughs> refused to admit they were lost and were very rude to a passerby who they asked for help on the map. So that slightly added to my pleasure uh, in that task. But, yes, I love that task. And, again, it was one that I fully could see what they were doing. They had to get the get the clue, 
get the periodic element, uh, periodic table um, letter, figure out what street it was, find that street, get that thing, move on to the next one, move on to the next one, put it all together, make the explosion, get your clue. It was so well laid out that I could completely follow it. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I just think, too, you're in kind of an interesting location, like you mentioned. It's an interesting task. It's kind of challenging, but not in the usual way. Something different. And, they, you know, they even end the leg at the Mad Max Museum. And I'm like, I want to go to that museum. That looks fun. <laughs> you know, it's in Silverton. But this, I think this leads well into um, this is the episode where Chris and Alicia go out. And I know we haven't really talked about them much. We talked about them a lot in the last episode. But this is a point where near the end, it's very close. And there is a situation where one of the teams, Ashley and Amanda, give the Sikhs the number of wheels, if I'm remembering correctly, that then causes, I mean, not there's a lot of things in the lake, but is one addition, it basically gets the Sikhs into the next round and gets them into the final three. And so... I'm trying to think of the way to start with this, but obviously it shows that you have an alliance of three teams. We saw this again on the U S and 32. Again, I found that more annoying than this because I, it's just different with the teams, but I feel like, you know, I felt like that was fair. I think, you know, you're, you're, it's not against the rules to help other teams. It's part of people being social and being friendly and getting along with other teams. There is a social component to the amazing race, but I don't want to go too far down without getting your thoughts on that, but also just kind of on the trajectory of Christian Alicia. Cause I feel like in this stretch of episodes, you really saw them like by the time they went out, I wasn't as surprised they would have been because we had predicted them to finish to make the final three, because I yeah, feel like the show, they were really kind of going downhill and struggling and wearing down, you would call it killer fatigue or whatever. And this was just kind of the last step, I feel like, almost. Yes. I mean, you could say that Ashley and Amanda giving the Sikhs the number of wheels, which was 107. They had either 106 or 108. I can't remember. They were one off. Uh, but off is off. Wrong is wrong. You could say, oh, well, that's the direct reason for these two going out. But you have to take a longer view in that that, that group of people or that alliance, shall we say, have each been helping each other. And this is what in the US one, it, where there was one team constantly taking help and never giving help. And I think what's what I've been interested in in, in this alliance, um, which included Sky Blue and Jake, was that it was a real five-way street. In, a, in other words, they were all helping each other. So the girls giving the Sikhs the number wasn't didn't come from nowhere is what I is what I'm saying. It wasn't the work of a moment. It was the work of all twenty two legs of the race and certainly the second half of the race where this this they have been uh helping each other. It's interesting the girls didn't go to tell them. The Sikhs had to almost run them down on the road to just say what's the number. But they did give the number. Um James uh Wallington had an interesting tweet. He said it's not called cheating. You just don't like the outcome. And Chris of Chris and Alicia responded, agreed. There's nothing in the rule book about telling other teams the answers, although I can see how people see it as unfair. When we mentioned cheating in the show, we were talking about things behind the scenes, not sharing of answers. I, I find that a bit disingenuous. They got to the mat they were eliminated. Uh, she cried, of course. They mentioned it being not fair. 
And then on Twitter, Chris has been talking about cheating, but without anything to back it up. He sort of said, oh, well, I wasn't talking about the race. I was talking about other things. Now, not to say my opinion of this couple, but I would like to tell you this couple's opinion of themselves. Uh, This is from their Meet the Teams interview prior to the race. And they said, this pair, quote, we'll do whatever it takes to win, even if it means cheating or manipulating other teams with our sweetness. Now, I know the bluster that you have prior to going on the race um, shouldn't necessarily be held against you, but I think it's interesting that he has chosen to use the word cheating on Twitter. He's He went on a bit of a blocking rampage when people questioned him. Um, I understand their disappointment. I understand that both they and their fans, of, of, of whom they have plenty, plenty, plenty fans, absolutely love them, being frustrated with an alliance. I feel their feelings about being outside an alliance. But then I would give you another quote from their exit interview with Channel 10. We formed friendships during their time during our time on the competition in an effort to rival the alliance. But every time we'd start to build that up, start to have a majority, one of the team on our side would leave. And this is what Chris has said. So what is it, that alliances are bad or that it's bad that my alliance didn't prevail? Dan, I'll let you talk. Yeah, it's so tricky because, you know, we've had that on other reality shows where people come off the show and they're like, well, there were things that weren't shown on camera that, that's why I was upset. And I, I don't want to dismiss it because obviously we don't know what that could be. I know the shows try to run a fair game, but you can't, you know what you can't control that. But so I don't even know if I can really comment on that because I feel like in one sense, it does seem disingenuous to bring that up because it's very easy to say, well, you don't know there was this other conspiracy or this other thing and no one can confirm it or deny it or anything. So you're kind of stuck going, I believe them or I don't. It's kind of, you go in circles. So that's one side of it. But also too, it's like, it's tricky because yeah, if I was on the race and really competitive and wanted to win and just kept getting sabotaged when I wasn't in last place, like it happened three times, I'm sure there'd be a lot of resentment to be like, what, what, you know, why don't people like me or what, you know, it becomes a social thing. So, you know, but it's, you could really sense with the top teams that they got along really well. That, Like we mentioned, a lot of the high upper teams, including Sky Blue and Jake, seemed to have they, um, their approach to the race was very similar. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't, I think you can, anybody can make an alliance with anyone, but the alliances that really work are the ones where people kind of have similar approaches and, you know, help each other both ways and everything else. So I think, you know, I'm sure that it's, there was bad luck. The Chris and Alicia might've been able to get an alliance together. But if you look at some of the other teams, they maybe were trying to work with. And again, this is almost into fan fiction because I have no idea, but like a Holly and Delore, for example, or someone like that. I mean, you're looking at, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what would work. And unfortunately for the other teams, those top teams just had mentalities and they were also good racers. So you have the teams that are good racers already that are going to help each other that also are pretty calm and focused and get along well it's hard to get over that and I could see him being upset, but yeah, I don't. 
it, it has its root. It has its roots earlier, I think. And I mean, one of the attitudes on on Twitter is, oh, you know, the the, the alliance, um, their entire. Uh, focus was getting Chris and Alicia out. Flip it the other way. The Alliance was trying to get themselves to the final three, which they did do. It wasn't about getting Chris and Alicia out. It was getting out everybody that wasn't them. This is the this is the actions of an Alliance in any um, reality game. I'm, yeah, uh, yes. Well, one more point on that. Uh, I'm know. trying to hold. I'm trying to no, hold no. my tongue. I'll, I'll step he in. did eat eggs. He did. He, he did eat eggs. Sorry, I'm outraged. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying that, just as an example, the Sikhs did U-turn MJ and Chelsea. They could have. I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they could have U-turned Chris and Alicia, if I remember correctly, and I may be getting my where they were in the list correctly, but they went after him, Jane Chelsea, who again, were part of the Alliance, but still it wasn't all about just getting out them. It was about the top four teams staying the top four teams, the originals, you know, but um, yeah, so it's interesting. Well, do you want, should we, I know we're getting a bit long here. There's a couple questions and other topics I want to cover before we finished. Are we ready to move to the next thing? I think so. Let's go to the next leg. Okay, well, let's go to the next thing, which is food challenges. Okay, mm. so we had multiple comments. Jeffrey K., there were way too many food challenges. We had others others that said very similar things, whereas basically, you know, Catherine, again, there were a lot of eating challenges, and they just seemed like eat a ridiculous amount of X. The drinking out of the boot challenge, which is actually in the same leg we just referenced, was about the worst, according to Catherine. What can they do instead of eating? And um, all those up front. So really quickly, to my knowledge, we had three more. Amazingly, in the last six episodes, I went through a lot of eating challenges in our last episode. There were three more. One of them was eating the eggs, the four fresh eggs of varying sizes. Another one, yeah, we had um, the, the drinking out of the boot, the drinking something that must have tasted really terrible based on everyone's reaction to that. And then there was a third one. Oh, I'm trying to remember what the third one is, but another eating challenge. The fertilized eggs. The fertilized, fertilized eggs, right, which also yeah. looked really gross. But so we ended up with, I think we were in the double digits with the eating challenges, if I remember correctly. I'm not going to go through all of them. That would be painful for everyone. But I'm going to leave you this question. Nadine Anderson, should the Amazing Race start taking, because this came up too with, with um, Ashley and Amanda, where one of them has a dairy issue and, and a dairy issue. She can't have it. And then, of course, with Christian Alicia being vegan, the question is, should the Amazing Race start taking contestant dietary restrictions into consideration with food challenges? So what do you think about that question? It's a really good question. I mean, let's just say it is true that there were too many eating challenges and just Yes. That's point blank. That is point blank. There were too many. Um, I wonder if you know the name of the drag queen who gave them the shoey in the pub. Her name is Shilita Buffet, which is a fabulous name. Yes. Um, so should dietary restrictions be taken into consideration? This is a really good question because what about if you just don't like something? Is that now a dietary Restriction. If somebody just doesn't like fish, should they not have to eat fish? So one thing I thought in answer to that question was to always make an eating challenge a choice. 
So you either eat this thing or you do this other task. Um, and just make sure, obviously, that there's no U-turn on the leg, that there's an eating challenge. That was my way around it. So you're not taking their dietary uh, requirements into consideration, but you're not compelling a team to eat when perhaps uh, when perhaps they can't. That was that was my my solution there. Yeah, I think that's good. And because they had it a few times, like with the sausage, I believe there were a couple of them in the past that were not required. Or there was another where Sky Blue and Jake ate that fish that was not. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was not great. So and there's so many. It's like, which one do I pick when I bring up a food challenge? But basically, here's my thought, too. I agree with that. I think that's a lot fair, especially the intersection. I mean, come on, you know, because even a roadblock, maybe you can plan it out if one of them has an issue but um i think the show likes the drama that's what i think because this has come up we've had people had to eat bugs on the amazing race us where they're vegetarians and just like things that seem like designed it's it's almost like i think the show looks at it as the same as someone being afraid of heights having to do a heights challenge or someone being afraid of snakes having to do something with snakes, which is pretty rare. But, you know, so I think they look at it that way. But I know it's challenging because for me to say this, because when someone's vegan, this is a big part of who they are or someone. Yeah, like any any type of choice or physically, if they can't have dairy. I mean, that's really bad that then they have to eat it and then they're sick or something. So it's just one of those where it's like, I do wish they had an out that wasn't just take a penalty, but I think the show is probably like they want to, they don't, I'm not saying they want to see Chris eat the eggs. That's what I mean. They want to see Chris have to figure out if he wants to eat the eggs or not. Yes. I yeah, I mean, on one of those, they were compelled to because it was a U-turn. Right. In my version, you would never have a U-turn uh, where there's an eating choice. I mean, I'm even thinking of the 20 wheat bix. Nobody wants to eat 20 dry wheat bix. But if you were celiac, you also couldn't eat the wheat bix. Otherwise, you'd be terribly ill. So uh, uh, being afraid of heights or being ill if you eat dairy I think are two different things like uh, Amanda's not afraid of chocolate she just can't eat it like literally Um, so I don't think that the producers are going to drop the eating challenges anytime soon because they absolutely loved Chris and Alicia being faced with the egg eating dilemma let's say Um, and um, certainly the Cowboys were very interested to see how, whether they were going to eat the eggs or take the penalty. Um, and they weren't very pleased about them eating the eggs. Yeah, it's not my Chris, favorite part, but go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean, Chris, Chris explains it in a particular way, but that's fine. They can do what they like. I'm not going to police anyone's <laughs> ethics. Unfortunately, they... They spent a really the uh, the production spent a really long time filming Chris trying to get through all the eggs because Alicia was standing by and and crying and not eating the eggs. Um, and I just feel like at some point it became too torturous, too personal. Uh, the, the production was being very personal about Chris and Alicia which I found a bit repellent. I didn't mind the other teams 
not liking them and wanting to trap them into mm-hmm. eating eggs, that's fine. But the production itself seemed really pleased about it and they certainly lingered and lingered on him eating them and I uh, I wasn't happy with that because it's not up to any of us to say whether the, whether ethically they should eat the eggs or not. That's between them and their and their consciences. Right. And that's the thing. I don't, this is not a side of the amazing race that I particularly enjoy. I don't like, I mean, I like the idea of people overcoming an obstacle or fear, but that is not the same as this. I mean, it's a big part of who he is, obviously. So, and I'm, I'm not going to judge either way. Cause you know, I don't know what I would do in any situation like that, but I'm just saying that that's not my favorite part of the show, but I agree, you know, whether it's, almost any type of reality show, they do thrive on drama. And while there's types of drama I enjoy and others I don't, this is not my favorite, but I think we probably, I would hope they cut back a bit on the eating challenges just as much. So we don't have to watch people throw up as much, but there was a lot, if you were in a metaphor, <laughs> if you're in a metaphor, if you shouldn't be watching this, yeah. this series, because so much. I have to, t- I have to tell you that the shame about there being so many eating challenges was that there is an eating challenge like the subway challenge, which is, you know, a clear product placement. And okay, we're all aware of that. And on we go, which I thought was really fun and clever because one member of the one team member has to make a sandwich for the other team member. And you really have to think about what do I know about them? What do they like? What are they going to be able to taste? And in that way, I found that eating challenge to be very, you know, interesting and fair. And I could see again, I could see what was happening. I could see the person tasting and trying to think of what the flavors were. And here, um, if you're a celiac, you can have a gluten free bun. So you're actually not being asked to eat something that you don't want to eat or can't eat. But it also speaks of the relationship between the team members, how well do I know you, Dan? What would you like on your sandwich? Have I ever, you know, eaten a sandwich with you? What, what, you know, what are your flavors? So I think there are eating challenges which work really well, um, just not this many. And as we've discussed, ones that 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 really were not were pushed pushed it into a different area. I did like Brendan enjoying the twenty eight day fertilized egg. <laughs> he was munching into them. He wanted tomato sauce. Um, and um, speaking of food challenges, they did go and make pies at the Garlo Pie Factory uh, under the guidance of uh, Jackson Garlic, who has been on uh, Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. So he's having his third bite at the reality, uh, <laughs> the reality bubble, although he did have a hairnet on. So perhaps he wasn't looking his best. And I there's so many tasks on this show that like I'm like, oh, yeah, that one. There's just so much to cover, as we've seen. So I think. I mean, I could go on for a while, but let's, if you're ready, let us finish off with, of course, something that we need to do, which is going through some lingo, make the um, person that is not from Australia look ridiculous. The lingo list. Are we ready for this? We're ready for the lingo list. I'm going to start you off with fanging. Okay, first I have Fang. to ask, are these these are all terms that were used in the show as part They of were all used in the show. I haven't gone oh outside the show. I can tell you who said it. I can use it in a sentence, but I'm just going to give it to you. Fanging. Oh my gosh. See, this is I did not study for this at all. I feel like I'm back <laughs> to like the spelling bee or something and I want to be All there. right, they were they were riding the dirt bikes and Jackson said it about Brendan. 
Um, he was fanging it around. I assume that means he was going really fast. Perfect. Ding, ding, <laughs> ding, Dan. Wonderful. All right. So now I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to use it in a sentence. I was shitting bricks. Well, I know I that I know what that term bricks. means. It basically oh, you means you were really nervous. You were freaking yes, out. Yeah, that's the term right. I've heard here. That is not just in uh, um, oh, lingo in Australia. Well. <laughs> that was when the weightlifters were, uh, had gone completely wrong in their great big um, camp event. Yes. They were trying to they were trying to turn turn it around with no uh, no space. And uh, Wayne said he was shitting bricks trying to get it uh, turned around. All right, so. Filthy. Oh, I think filthy means like not just dirty. No, not dirty. That's too obvious. It means like, oh man, that was a f-. like if you were like on a dirt bike and you did a great jump, they'd be like, that was a filthy jump. <laughs> like that, but I know this was not a dirt bike. But. Dan the teenager. Um, I'll give you the context. The Cowboys uh, said it about MJ and Chelsea being U turned. They're going to be filthy about it. Oh, that means they're going to be really mad. Like saws. That's like, right. Yeah, that, so yes, I was, I was off on that one, but um, but yeah, I get it now. It's such a it's such a great word, filthy. All right, here's one, deadly. Huh? Because deadly, I mean, I know it could be used in a lot of different ways. You could just be like, you know, <laughs> that jump was deadly. <laughs> No. That jump was that, ju- that jump was deadly. It could that jump could be deadly. Yeah, I'm not thinking you, in terms of the danger though. I'm talking about like yeah. it was something that was um like really cool. But I don't know. I'll take a little context here. All right, you looked at that word for ten legs. Dwez and Catherine. Well, uh, Dwez was wearing it on his. Oh, you're right. Deadly. He was. Yes. Yeah. Deadly. Uh, it's a it's a used used by Aboriginal people, and it means really good. Oh, probably even explain that on the like show. Deadly, Yikes. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Deadly, deadly. Is such a great, such a great word. Uh, now, flano. Oh boy, this is getting worse now. Um, I don't remember that being used. I don't think I can talk my way through this one. Flano, flano. Flannel, flannel shirt. Oh, <laughs> I was just, so. just going to let you keep saying that over and over. And yeah. just, you know, <laughs> Ashley and Amanda. So Ashley and Amanda enjoyed uh, their time in flannel when they were with, with the tap dogs. I have two more. Okay, that, that works. Uh, Let's do it. Okay, so they're both from uh, the Cowboys. One we've already talked about. Brendan talked about Jackson heaving his hole. <laughs> yeah. When he was spewing. I get I get that one. Yeah. So I'll give you the last one. Clacker. Oh my gosh. There's so many ways you could go with that one. Um I don't know. He's really funny. <laughs> I'm gonna use it in a sentence. Right up our clacker. Oh my. Uh, so the cowboys the cowboys in the very last minutes of the race said Ashley and Amanda are right up our clacker. Oh, that means, yeah, like you could, there's a lot of ways you could say that, but like if someone was tailgating you or somebody was right on, right on your butt or <laughs> like right on top of you, basically. Yeah. Okay. I that's, get that's, that's the meaning, but do you know what the clacker actually is? Um, it comes, it comes from something that chickens have, Oh, which is a cloaca, which is your, which is the exit for 
eggs and everything else. Oh wow! Someone's right, right <laughs> up your clacker. They're in your. They're right up your cloaca. They're right up your bum. They're like you could use like yeah. five different terms to describe one thing, but this, yeah. yeah. I, oh, that makes sense to me. So yeah, clacker. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. That's what a great way to finish the list there. <laughs> All right. Well, do we have anything else we need to cover? Because I feel like we've done justice to this show with this episode. I feel good. But is there anything else, Sarah, we need to cover here before we finish? I think just to pull back and say, I was really excited to see it. I had hopes. I had fears. It was better than I had hoped. I thought the casting was really good um there was good value even in the, the teams i was not so fond of uh I, I thought there was good value um and i have hopes for another season even if it is still um in australia so that, those would be my last thoughts a, a very fantastic uh final three uh, i liked all those teams and are very deserving winners what about you, Dan? Yeah, I'm right with you on that. I think especially the show really found its stride in that middle stretch of episodes when so much was happening. And the end was good, too. But there was a real great stretch like we talked about before. But I enjoyed it throughout. I'm excited about another season. I hope that it happens, especially, you know, fingers crossed that they're able, you know, that COVID progresses OK and that they're able to do a season, you know, without you know, a more, even if it's just in Australia, they're able to go to some of the other areas and all of that, I think would be really cool. But yeah, I echo everything you said. I think we had good winners. Um, nothing against the winners at all. And um, I liked all the last three teams. So it was, it was fun to see. But Sarah, one last thing. People have been listening to us for a long time, almost, you know, two hours worth of time. They may want to hear us more. <laughs> so what else do you have going on right now, now that Amazing Race Australia has finished for the time being? Now I hardly know what to do with myself. Uh, well, I am covering, doing a season overview of Next in Fashion with Hayley Strong coming up. I'm very excited, very much looking forward to that. And I'm doing writing some content for Ultimate Twish this week in Survivor History, the trivia show, and enjoying myself with that. And I'm looking forward to getting into winter swimming at Bondi. And the offer I always make is if you're in Australia, come to Bondi, I'll take you for a swim. How about you, Dan? Where can people find you? Well, um, I currently host a podcast apart from RJP about theme parks. It's an interview show. I haven't been going to theme parks lately, but I talked to a lot of people that work for them or behind the scenes. It's called the tomorrow society podcast. You can find that at all your big podcast places or go to tomorrowsociety.com. I'm hoping this summer that Jess and I will get to come back and do amazing race Canada, meaning whether Woo! there will be a season. I hope there is. I'm feeling good about it. I think they'll probably just be in Canada, but I feel like there's a decent chance, though I haven't heard anything so far. And that would, be, of course, be on RHAP. And, you know, I'm also a swimmer, so I don't think I'm going to make it to Australia, but I'm hoping to get out in the pool more this summer because that is always fun, though probably not as fun as going to Bondi, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, thank you so much. If people want to follow you on Twitter or anywhere else, where should they go? I have the very simple uh, handle, which is at Sarah Carradine. All right. And I am at the Dan Heaton. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was still much shorter than the season of 24 episodes. It was really fun to cover, and I hope we get to do it again sometime in the future. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.